Right, good afternoon, lads, um, and uh, good afternoon for the listeners. Um, just um, make sure everyone, old lads, can you wear that? Coming through all right? Yeah, it sounds better. Yeah, it's coming through fine to me. Yeah, that's an air it means. Okay, good afternoon, uh, and welcome to everyone that's listening to uh, this afternoon's Bobblecast. I hope you're all staying safe. Um, today it's uh, Witch and Mitch, uh, your noble hosts, and finally uh, we've got our long-awaited guests um, through a million reasons and one, including COVID-19. Uh, we haven't been able to be in a position to do this, but welcome to uh, Andy Alphabote and uh, Paul, also known as the Esk on Twitter. Uh, so um, it's nice to see you lads, first of all, you're all safe and well. Yeah, very good, thanks mate. Um, all safe, all well, thankfully, and uh, hopefully everybody else is. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on, lads. Uh, obviously, I know I know that Mitch is all right because um, he's been moaning to me all day about uh, waiting to to uh, to have a, a nice, well earned drink this afternoon. Um, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll uh, I, I hope you lads have got a drink as well. It's kind of routine on these bobblecasts. I know it's quite early for you, Paul, but uh, we do tend to have a little bit of a, a wine or two. Um, so, got a nice cup of tea. Oh no, no, no! <laughs> um, so, first question, probably for yourself, Paul. Um, I've heard this mentioned, and as you can appreciate, me and Lee are just two match going lads that don't know a lot about finance or scouting. So, it'll be interesting to hear some viewpoints from yourselves today. Um, and I tell you know, I won't. Um, keep you to specific points. I'll let you expand on a variety of things. But I keep hearing this phrase, bull markets, and the suggestion that that's now coming to an end because of COVID-19. What the hell's the bloody bull market? Okay, I think um, <clears throat> I think the reason why people say we've come to the end of a bull market, a bull market is a, is a period of time where um, in stock markets, everything goes up in value. Um so economies expand, businesses expand, business make more money, businesses pay out bigger dividends to the shareholders. And as a result, more and more money goes into it. And as a result, the value of the companies and the value of the shares uh, go, go up. And for football, particularly the Premier League, but also most of the leagues in Europe, um, since the early 1990s, since 1992 really, all they've seen is year in, year out, an increase in the amount of money that's gone into the game. And as a result of that, having more money to spend, um, the price of everything's gone up. So the price of players over 25 years or more has, has, has increased in value. So players get more and more expensive. And the amount that players are um, paid gets more. So if you... Um, if you look at the amount that players are being played, it just goes up in a straight line, and it and it and it's gone up every single year since the start of um, of the Premier League. And actually, I think I was probably one of the first people to say, "Well, this has been a bull market, but now it's a bear market." Bear market is is the reverse. So that's when all the good things stop, and prices start to fall. So in 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 the case of football, it would mean. Um, the value of footballers will fall. So the current value of them as far as the club is concerned, but also the value in terms of when uh, they're transferred. And also over time, because wages tend to lag, fall behind a bit, over time, the amount that footballers will be paid will, will reduce. 
Right, understood. Yeah, yeah, we we've seen that pop up, and I, you know, I, I didn't want to look stupid on Twitter asking the question, um, but uh, you know, I tend to look out for like to yourselves and John Blaine, and I like talking about it to try and understand it. Um, now, obviously, a big part of this will no doubt be a factor whether the football season actually um, finishes or not. Um, now, I'll start with Andy. Do you actually feel um, is that? We'll see the beginning of the new one before you know, without seeing the end of the, of this season, or do you think it's the opposite way around, Andy? It, there's a lot of variables to that. Obviously, you know, speaking right now, we're in the middle of minutes, sorry, the middle of April. Things could change in terms of COVID nineteen. Um, the you know the expectation of um, TV providers who want the games to be continued so they get the full full value of the the TV contracts. So there's a lot of variables. It's hard to say right now. What will happen? I believe that they will come back behind closed doors. I think there's a there's an internal pressure within football, and a lot of teams seem to be planning for this. I also think that the next season will probably start late. I don't think we're going to go nine games, long, you know, nine games then into the next season. I I, I would suspect they would go the nine games, a couple of weeks off again, and then sort of into a pre-season again. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's, there's certainly a desire for the Premier League to die off. Um, now, now, one that one I will ask, will ask is, is, is obviously support is financially the Premier League have suggested that they won't ask for the additional amount of money for the Premier League teams. Do you think that'll be the case? Um, sorry, the line's really bad. I didn't quite catch the question. Um, in, terms, in terms of money, yeah, yeah. David, yeah. the test you know. Right, okay. Right, okay. Right, okay. Right, okay. Right, okay. Right, okay. Yeah, in terms of the Premier League, they've suggested um, that they may actually um, waive the amount of money um, that they've paid. You know, they've obviously paid out so far, and they're not going to ask for that back. Um, and it's more, you know, the the, the, t- the TV rights abroad that may ask for that back. Do you think that's the case, Paul? Or well, I, I think um, both BT and, and particularly Sky have sort of grown up with the Premier League. They, you know, long-term relationship which they've both benefited from. And I think if if Sky in particular were to you know try and claim back monies that they've already paid if the league isn't completed, I think they'd face quite a backlash from um, many of the fans that subscribe uh, to their sports channels because clearly you know no Evertonian is going to want Sky to do something which might damage Everton, and the same will be true of all uh, twenty Premier League clubs. So I suspect. That the um, the Sky and BT in particular would be, whilst they may wish to do so, would be re- very reluctant to do so. And what they'll try and do instead is uh, probably negotiate more games next season, <clears throat> uh, so that they recover some of their costs by showing more games, but not not, but not paying more money ne- next year. So you, you'd see an extension to to the contract next year, assuming that the league starts. And, and, and is, is a full league. I think the, the overseas broadcasters, they don't necessarily have that issue because, you know, they're 
their, their, their customer base is overseas. And um, I suspect a, a lot of the overseas broadcasters will start to look to recover funds that have already been paid if indeed the season finishes, you know, with nine or ten games um, left to play. Yeah, it, it, you know, that, that, that obviously finance obviously all, always comes into these things, as, as you'll testify. Um, and no doubt, um, as Andy and yourself have already discussed already, that, that, that will be part of the, you know, the motive for getting these things done. Um, I mean, what has been mentioned, obviously Andy mentioned earlier on about behind closed doors, and I'll just go over to you, Lee. What what, what do you think, uh, Mitch, in, in relation to that? Would you, as a fan, like to see, you know, games behind closed doors? Um, and how would you feel about that? Uh, not really, because I won't be there. Um, no, I, I think, personally, I'd just like to see the finish, the season finish now and start looking at next season. But I don't know the ins and outs with, with the finances and, and stuff like that. And that's why it's good to have, have Paul and Andy on and he can tell us a little bit more. Um, as a fan, uh, no, it doesn't it doesn't do it for me. You you want to be at the match, don't you? Um, that's just my opinion. Tell, tell you what, Lee, you, you raise a good point there because I think if the reason for finishing the season is predominantly financial, mm. yet both Sky and BT say well, we're prepared to waive, you know, recovering our costs because we've got a long term relationship. Blah blah. Yeah. Then really, there's no reason for continuing the season, is there? No, no, I agree. There's a flip side to that, though, gents. Is that I think there's a there's a, a feeling within the government that having football on behind closed doors on telly every other day would help people in the sense of it, it being some normality. But I'm not saying it will do in reality. But there's that feeling where they think that you know people stay in to watch the games that give some people a reason to stay at home. Now, obviously. The flip side to that is when Liverpool obviously win the title as will people adhere to social distancing, which is the worry. But yeah, that 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 is supposed the internal feeling is that they, they think that football would boost morale in these split times. Yeah, and I can I can yeah, see that I can I can understand that side of it as well. And, and there's, there's certainly something to explore there. Now, Andy as well. I mean, there's, there's no simple answer because the other side of that then, if, you know, if hopefully we do start to see, you know. The, the curve is such slow down, um, and then we get to May time, June time. Um, you all know um, that obviously, certainly Merseyside football, a particular team across Sandy Park, attract quite a following from abroad. Um, and certainly, you know, towards the back end of last season with the Champions League, uh, thousands of people travelled to Liverpool just to watch it in pubs, even the people that couldn't actually go to the game, just to be in the city and to soak the atmosphere up. Uh, and, and, you know, that's got to certainly be consideration as well in terms of that, you know, because at the moment, obviously, travel's not heavily restricted still, albeit the foreign office are, are not providing against people going abroad. Yeah, it's something that they have to consider because uh, there's a lot of considerations. It's how you, you know, pen the players off, how obviously you get cameramen and people to do all the technical stuff in there. You know, obviously you want to keep it to skeleton numbers, but how do you how do you scale it properly so it doesn't affect the product? It's it's very difficult. I think Germany is due to be back before the Premier League as as I understand it. So they may wait to make a decision to see how the German version goes. Yeah, it, 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 I think obviously as we know, Germany, Italy are certainly ahead of us in terms of what's going on with COVID. Um, 
So, you know, well, we'd like to think that we, we, we could have seen what was going on there and reacted to it much earlier. Uh, but that's the another debate altogether. But certainly from the football point of view, it might well be a consideration to see what's going on there and then to see if we can actually, uh, you know, maybe what they are doing. Um, obviously, the other side of things is obviously the uh, legalities in the contract in terms of, you know, obviously from an Everton perspective, I think we've got three or four other lads out of contract in the summer. Obviously, Leighton Baines would be one of them. Leighton Baines, I think, you know, I feel as though we may look to extend that contract. That suggests that Umani Asa's contract might finally come to an end. And him. But how would, how would you get across that call in terms of the, the contract size? Well, as, as it stands, their contracts expire at the end, end of June, uh, 30th of June. And two, thing, two things are going to, well, two things can happen. One, FIFA can make a change to its um, regulations. And at the end of the day, all, and, and I'm sure Andy will correct me if I'm wrong here, but all uh, registrations are, are, are held through FIFA. So FIFA are aware of um, which players at which club because they're all held centrally. So FIFA might right. make, make a change of uh, regulations that says you can temporarily extend the contract, say, to the end of July or to the end of August. Um, or indeed, the individual clubs may offer uh, individual players, particularly those players that they may want to keep hold of, for example, Baines, um, a short-term contract uh, extension, which, of course, they can do. But then, then, the, then the player himself uh, might put himself at risk if he if he accepts a short term contract, for example. Uh, does that uh, impinge his ability to go and join another club if that's what he wants to do? So, you know, it it, it is it is complex and it, and it's definitely um, it's definitely an issue. And it, and from my perspective, it's definitely another reason why really the league should, if the league cannot be completed or there's no reasonable chance of the league being completed before the end of June. Uh, we should call that as early as possible and let everybody start making plans for a new season um, in the knowledge of, of what exactly what is going to happen over the summer, make plans for transfers, make plans for their own budgets, uh, you know, what's going to happen to their revenues, etc. Um, the longer we leave it, um, the more difficult it becomes. Yeah, that was one of the things, that was one of the things I wanted to, um, I'm glad that you talked about that actually, you know, and um, because we, we could get to a situation, couldn't we, where we could have um, Shadibi, for instance, playing one day, and then could you have Kenny the next the next week or something? The way the way that it lands, you know, the um, the club contracts are up, aren't they, on thirtieth? That right? Yeah, I, th I think what the plan to do. I think I read, I read this the other day. Is the FIFA do plan to, you know, obviously if seasons go ahead, they do plan to to sh shift the dates. Now, obviously, uh, as Paul rightly says, is players will need to be compensated, or in terms of maybe insurance, because if them contract, if they are planning to sign on the first of July with another club, and while their contract is extended for that temporary period, and they were to get injured, and it cost them the move then obviously they need to be compensated in some manner so it's very difficult and there's a lot of variables to that but right it's okay yes. i think i think with i think with kenny's loan will be extended i expect sadibi's loan to be extended for, for that period yeah it, it, it whether they are or not though it, it's it, up to fifa really i think FIFA will do to make it more easier than rather than the mismatch of players having to be registered and things like yeah, that yeah it's definitely messy isn't it <laughs> and i'm gonna <laughs> you had a lot 
round there, I'm just going to get a final answer on, on the topic before we move on. So, season ended or, or season finished? Or do we try and finish the season first of all to Paul? I, I can't see how we can possibly finish the season. So, I would call it now and say um, that, you know, the, the season isn't going to finish. It's not going to be the full 38 games. Um, and we deal with the consequences of that as soon as we possibly can. Clean cut, right, Andy? Yes or no? I think it should be finished. I think if safe, I obviously would say if safe, it should be finished. I just think there's too many legal wranglings to that'll come up. We obviously we'll discuss more about that later, such as all the clubs in the championship if the season was to be ended. And uh, Lee, from a fan perspective, uh, yeah, I'll I'll have to agree with Paul. I think it should be should be ended now. To be honest. Interesting, right? We've got a, we've got a majority there, um, but no, I, I get the certainly. You know, it just shows that the you know the, there's a million reasons for either side, so it's going to be a hard process for you know a, a lot of people to discuss. Um, now, obviously, moving on to the summer plans that was mentioned before. Um, obviously, uh, Andy, you, you would have been doing a lot of work over probably you know the last twelve six months looking at yeah. you know. You know the scouting side of things. Do the summer plans change now? Have you had any direction to change what you're looking at? Not, not so far. It's, it's still all up in the air at the moment, unfortunately, because we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, obviously, with with Premier League clubs more so than I don't work with any Premier League clubs, for example. The, a lot of it is predicated on that TV money. So if that TV money is removed or taken back by certain TV companies, that will affect their summer plans massively. Whereas the clubs I work with tend to, uh, tend to be more Related to you know fan income more so in terms of you know championship and other leagues that I deal with. So, so at the moment we're holding tight. We're just looking. We're still looking at players. Not much has changed, but I do expect you know a massive change in the way we're scouting. If you know if if certain things change, or for example, football couldn't be played till September, October, November. So it, it, a lot will change. It's very in flux at the moment. I would also say, you know. It's going to be, I'm not too sure how it's going to affect transfers, so we'll get on to that. But I think with the lack of live scouting, there's a lack of a final stamp on certain players. So plans may change because of that, because there's a lot of risk factors that you have to consider. If anything, you you may well be in a growth area, you know, as we as we do. You know, I think every, every business is changing. And I think, obviously, the Premier League now... Um, if they can't do that live scouting, certainly they may, you know, the likes of you, what you do may, may become even more in vogue. It, it, I think with the Premier it's hard to break it from, from my company's perspective. It's hard to break into a, a Premier League club. The reason being is because they're so in-house. They think that they can do it all themselves. They don't often take on, you know, we are a consultancy, if you will. We do obviously consult on recruitment and data. So it's hard to break in terms of the Premiership. It's hard to break in. However, we'll see. I think clubs will look to become smarter, if you will. They'll look to cover more avenues so they make less mistakes, especially, as Paul says, if revenues are going to be lower, then they need to not waste money, if you will. So smart, people will want to be smart, and we have had more inquiries over the last couple of weeks than we would have expected. This is probably over to Paul now, based on that. Um, I read an, art an article in uh, The Athletic last week, um, and it was actually an interview with uh, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, he responded to a question that Neville had asked him. And he said, um, my, um, that basically the situation that's going on might just be a situation you can exploit. 
Um, now, he did receive some criticism over that and, and you know, leaving the rights and the wrongs of what he did say. Um, the reality is that, that obviously, I suppose a lot, of, a lot of the football teams will be thinking that way. Um, do you think it is obviously going to be a market where there's, there's some joy to be had for Premier League teams, Paul? Or, or do you think there'll be a lot more uh, reserved in how they approach it? I think they, I think they're going to be an awful lot more reserved. Um, one or two might break ranks and just say, "Okay, you know, this this is our opportunity to do it," but they're gonna they're gonna need the backing of, um, you know, a major shareholder uh, in order to do that. Because, you know, frankly, there's well, Manchester United have got cash sitting on their balance sheets. Arsenal have got cash sitting on their balance sheet, but. Arsenal aren't likely to be a club that, that does that under Cronkay. Um, I, th- I think I think there's there's in- massive risks in doing it, um, and I think the biggest risk is that uh, because football clubs don't know what their future income is going to be for the first time in years, there's no there's no security about future income. It's very very difficult to um, to calculate the value of, of a football player going forward. Because at the end of the day, a football player, in, in strict business terms, is is an asset, and you, and you value you value an asset based on um, what it will produce. So, how much income will it produce for you for you in, in the future? And of course, a football player doesn't produce a product other than make make you make your club more successful than it would have been without it. So, you know, um, buying a number nine, you buy, a number nine is more expensive, say, than a than a left back because. Ultimately, a number nine has should have more impact uh, on on a season in terms of results. Therefore, you know, the more goals he scores, um, the more the more points you generate, the greater the chances of qualifying for Europe, etc. So, there's a um, there's a cash return from that player at some point in the future, and also obviously you you hope to sell that, pe- that player at some point in the future for a profit as well. I think I think that I think there's such great uncertainties about. What the future cash value, uh, cash um, value creation a player can can create, and what that future value of the player will be, that most, almost, in fact, almost all uh, football clubs will not want to invest heavily until such a time as there is some certainty. Uh, I think it was mentioned earlier about the championship as well, um, and I know that obviously the Premier League has been operating. Probably what what's considered a ridiculous um, model in terms of how much money they actually outlay on players' wages and, and so forth. Um, now, I actually read early, earlier on in uh, the Athletic as well about um, obviously the Championship at, uh, sold eleven players that accrued um, in excess of ten million, and twenty four clubs uh, basically made a collect one hundred and forty million pound profit last year off off player sales, which obviously offsets some of their. Uh, the financial mess that they're wearing, um, and uh, Andy, um, do you think that Championship teams will be a lot more reliant on on other ways to bring players in? Obviously, you know Premier League, you know teams are going to be affected anyway. Uh, but you know, the, certainly the Championship teams, would they be looking at the low markets? Would they be looking at some of the younger players, maybe in the Premier League? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. The, the championship is the is the is the one league that's really the one that must be hard hit by this most likely is because, unlike the they overspend much like the Premier League clubs do in a lot of sense, but they don't have the same TV contract to fall back on. 
to cover that outlay. So a lot of championship clubs really run at a loss. You know, Derby, obviously, a very famous example of a club that's run at a loss because the owner obviously funds that you know outright at a loss. I think they make you know hundred thousands a week loss. So it, even you know, but the problem with the championships, I do think the problem is is the Premier League going to allow players to go to the championship and not and not have to pay full wages? You know, some Chelsea young players are on fifteen twenty thousand a week, which is more than some championship teams can afford. So it, it, a lot of it will be based on whether the Premier League teams want their players to go out on loan, and also on the flip side is whether the the, the championship clubs think that's the most prudent way. Of you know you know acquiring talent really they could go the, the, you know the free market is another one that could suffer because I think it'll be interesting in the free market there's someone I think Paul probably you know have something to say about this is how will contracts change and maybe we'll see this because there's obviously going to be a lot more measures put in place where and maybe much like the NFL in America will teams start asking to play players to get the full salary they ask them to play a certain number of games or if it's certain markers to pick it up because of this problem you know we've never encountered something like this before will that change the way football clubs do business in the sense of contracts and maybe transfer fees as well it's you that one Paul so and Andy what you what you're suggesting is maybe a greater reliance on sort of performance related pay Potentially, yeah. I'm not, I don't think that'll happen yet. I just think if I look at other models, like the American models of teams, that, that's yeah. something that's very prevalent in the NFL. I know the NBA is not not like that, but I, I just think that this con when people on like Niasson, for example, is on free this summer. Not that he's going to get a lot of interest, if I'm honest. Put Niasson is on it free. Will people like before you know fork out those twenty, thirty thousand pound a week wages he wants, or will he say? You know, you have to play a certain number of games to hit this target. Well, then we'll pay you the rest, and we'll hold it in lieu until that time, for example. I, I think. I think what we might see um, is the players that clubs really want to keep. Uh, they'll try and look after as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So they will try and retain the earnings of the people that they want to keep uh, to the highest level that, that they possibly can. And I think I think it's going to be a really difficult market for uh, those players that aren't, you know, right at the very top of the game. So you know, typically your, squ your squad players, um, the players who you know, might might play 15, 20 games a season um, because they're covering for you know a position in case of injury or in cases of uh, suspension late late in the season. I, I think there's going to be a there will be whatever resources are available. For wages, and I think most clubs will try and cut their their total wage bill. But those 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 wages will be concentrated on fewer players, so they'll either cut the cut the squad to the minimum that they can do, or they will just concentrate um, what they're paying to to their their better performing players. If you understand what I mean? Yeah, well, the assets really. If you know, if you've got someone like Jaden Sancho at Dortmund, Dortmund obviously because he's an asset would be more inclined to keep him on the same wage to keep him at the club because he's an asset. Whereas maybe the third string striker, not so much. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, exactly. Maybe will be more emphasis on academies now. Potentially, the, the the academy system is, 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 is again another thing that's heavily funded. If you look at Manchester United, they bought a fifteen-year-old for eight and a half million. That's a lot of incentives last year uh, from Monaco Majebri. Will they be doing the same? I'm not too sure. I think I think a lot of teams are looking at. There's obviously got you know, on, you know 
in the distant future. It's been forgotten, but now as Brexit obviously goes into place in 2021, and that will change the rules of what players can come into the country. So that's another factor on top of that. I think academies will forever be important. It's just maybe for a couple of years now, they may be more important if teams haven't got that, you know, that disposable cash to go out and buy players. Maybe they will have to integrate more, but it's still very difficult for academy players to break into Premier League sides because the whole league is predicated on staying in the league to earn money rather than you know playing to develop players and playing to win in a lot of cases there's only certain teams that you know there's only say 10 teams playing to win most of the rest of the league is just trying to stay in there to get the money that's a couple of times about um you know about some of the obviously everton will be hit by this um and as will what every club in the league but i said you know some of the worst ones uh, i read sheffield united for every pound that they actually take in, they're actually outlaying one pound ninety-five. Um, you know, uh, Villa, Norwich, West Ham are looking for investors for thirty million. Do you think we'll see? Uh, you know, obviously years ago we were gutted when Wayne Rooney was sold, um, and at that time it was justified because we said we needed to sell them to stay alive. Basically, do you think we'll see more Wayne Rooney? So, I mean, the, uh, you'll be able to correct me on this, uh, but the uh, the winger over at Burnley, I think his name doesn't come to, to my Dw- mind. Dwight McNeil. Uh, Dwight McNeil. So, you know, he'd be an example. Maybe will he part with that asset? Just, just you know, Burnley are particularly hit by it. They've already discussed how, you know, they're, they're financially uncertain. Uh, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put it over to Paul first. Um, and then, Andy, obviously, after Paul, if you if you want to discuss that to see, yeah, sure. could, we, could we look at that? Sure. I mean, it's interesting, actually, because in terms of uh, ratios between wages and uh, turnover, Everton currently have the highest uh, ratio. So Everton spend more of their £1 in revenues that they're going to generate this year on wages than any, any of the other football clubs. The, when, the, when the relegated clubs come up, the ratio always looks very high for them because you, you're basing it on their uh, championship um, levels of revenue, but when you actually look at what they're going to earn in the Premier League, assuming that they earn everything that they were going, you thought they were going to earn, um, they, they, they don't actually look that bad. Um, Everton, uh, Leicester, uh, very high, and um, West Ham have been extremely high, uh, but not not quite as high as Everton last year. Um, so actually, we're we're the club that's possibly under under most pressure from that point of view. Um, and I think if you, you know, again, Andy's. The, the experts in terms of um, players, but I think if you look at Everton's squad, there's actually there's not a huge amount of players in there that um, are, are readily and easily tradable that, that we that we would want to sell in the first instance. That's I think that's been an issue, Paul. For you know, it was the same issue last summer, which is why obviously Garnet Garnet Gay was sold, and people say you know why I wasn't see Morgan Schneiderlin so last summer, whereas a, a young player with potential such as whatever you think of him, Adam Ola Luchman, it's because Adam Ola Luchman at the age he is and the potential he has is a more readily tradable asset than a Morgan Schneiderlin. I think that's the, that's that's why we're trying to age get lower the age of the squad and have more assets such as your Moise Keynes, your Alex and all these different things like that is if we have to sell them eventually because of the age they will retain the value now, I think it, you know that that is an issue forever you've obviously got Richarlison who you know probably was worth around 100 million in, in, in old money but maybe after this the price may drop to 70 60 and is it worth having selling them for that price I would say not you better retaining the assets until the, the market recovers but if teams like, for example, you know, away from Everton, teams like Brentford have really relied on 
being able to sell players for big money to you know to, to you know, keep the business flowing. Is it worth Brentford selling someone like Sai Ben Rama or you know Brian Mbwemo when the market's so low? They've bought them players with the hope to sell them for three hundred percent of what they paid for them, and maybe they won't get that now. So it, it's a very difficult market to and Everton probably do need to ship players out in the summer. But I, my fear fear is is that the market for twenty eight year old players and over. It's just been diminished completely by this because people want to invest medium to long term contracts in them type of players in this market. Lads, what's going yeah, to happen with the with the transfer window? When's it going to start and, and end? We don't really know, do we? It'll be shifted to when the season's over. So yeah. if it was going to end on the 29th of July. It would in theory start then, but again, all up in the air. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Just Andy, just 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 going on back on the point that you're making on uh, Everton specifically, for for a number of seasons we found it really difficult, or two for two summers at least we found it really difficult to sell uh, what we call it like the deadwood or what I call the deadwood. Um, it is actually going to be even more difficult this year, yeah. and I'm sure you know when when Brand sat down in January to plan for what he's going to do in the summer, he's got he's got a list of players that he wants to get rid of. Um, to reduce wages, uh, to generate some cash, maybe even generate a little bit of profit here and there, possibly on one or two. Um, that's become even more difficult than it was previously, and, and we weren't able to do it in previous years. So, in a sense, we're, we're even more hamstrung this this summer than we were previously. Yeah, I think. Well, you know, I, was, I think with, with with you know, we we know Paul. I think Everton were, you know, there's certain financial regulations that Everton after making a hundred million loss are under the gun of, obviously, and yeah. that it's it's it's. I think this is where people get the, the mixed up with Marcel Brands. Is he's got a, such a difficult job in the fact that he's got to turn over the squad without a lot of sellable assets, as you say. You know, obviously, you know, your Tosins. We hope to sell into Crystal Palace. He got injured. It's probably going to be hard to sell Tosin now, Jilvy Sigurdsson, Morgan Schneider, and they're all on the wrong side of 28-29. We're probably going to have to carry them players next season unless teams think that you know there's more value in buying low on those players because they're more likely to perform because they're experienced. I'm not too sure unless that, that, that's... It's very difficult to forecast that, but I do believe Everton are not in a great position if you know certain financial restrictions are, are, are lifted because we're going to find it very hard to generate transfer funds from selling players. I think isn't isn't the other point also, Andy, and I agree with you totally on that, um, that the players themselves are going to be even more reluctant to move because yep. um, whatever happens to their contracts in the summer, if, for example, uh, everybody's contract is reduced by 30%, e even 70% of what, they, what they're currently getting at Everton is going to be more than what they would get elsewhere. Definitely. If you look at, you know, even before this happened, you look at a Sandro who's probably in, I think, £75,000 a week. He wouldn't move because he'd never get that money anywhere else. Now, with the obvious issues, the financial impact of COVID-19, it's going to even happen to players who, you know, who may may have retained that money when they moved. So, Gilfie Sigurdsson's got no real motive to move now. He's still got, I think, two years left on his contract. Is he going to earn the same money elsewhere? Probably not. So, yeah, I think that that's another thing that will halt the process. 
you've gone and mentioned Gilfie Sigurdsson now. Every time I go into a rage when I hear his name, <laughs> I may put me back who rates him. <laughs> well, I did rate him, but does accept that he has obviously declined so much. Well, th- th- this leads me to say, obviously, you know, obviously clubs won't be able to be putting massive money out. And will the likes of having Carlo Ancelotti in charge over the likes of a Marco Silva be more beneficial now for a club like Everton? You know, because obviously clubs can't trump up for clubs because the money's just not there. But, you know, will will players be more likely to come in with, with a Carlo Ancelotti? I'll, I'll send this firstly over to you, Andy, and then obviously Paul will probably have a few words on that as well. Yeah, that, if, you, if you listen, if you speak to people at the club, they, they believe so, that there's a player, there's another level of player that's opened up due to the fact that Carlo Ancelotti's our manager. He obviously is very respected in the game. He's obviously managed at big clubs. And I think players that say we were looking to buy players from the level of an Ajax, a Lille, you know, clubs who are playing the Champions League, but we, you know, Everton are probably still a bit of a bigger club than them. The Premier League's a big club, a bigger league than they are in. Them type of players now attracted to Everton because of a Carlo Ancelotti being manager because he'll help develop them and obviously maybe get them that next bigger move or take Everton on to the next level, whichever it may be. So I think that will help. Everton have obviously got to use that that pull wisely. You know, obviously we've been linked with a lot of players from Italy who are over a certain age, which everyone knows them against. But, you know, I think that, yes, the answer to the question is yes, there is more pull than having Carlo as manager. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have much more to, to add to that and to say it could clearly he's, he's a manager that is going to attract players, all other things being equal. So, um, in that sense, it will work to our advantage. You know, and I'm based on that as well. Um, I, I had a good debate this morning, actually, with Owen, um, talking about Gomez. Um, and, you know, you, you'd expect that Ancelotti, given a full pre-season and given some time with some of these lads, you will start to see a bit of an upturn in their performance. Um, and obviously, as, as it goes on, when he starts to implement the style, you know, over time, that you know, they'll start to, to play in a certain way that he expects. Um we have got quite a you know a core uh, young squads. If you if you look at some of them, obviously, I would suggest Pickford, uh, Lewis Gibson, uh, Holgate, uh, Kenny. You look across Davis, Richardson, DCL. You know, there's a lot of you know even a Wobie's quite young there as well. Same as Wobie. You know, as as much as there's the Sosans knocking around, Moyes Keane obviously because a lot of that come in our favour. Do you think? In terms of development, yes, I think there's the squads in it. You know, in what I think there's quite a split in the squad, which is why I think you know brands bought players like Dean, Bernard, who were already in the prime ages of 24, 25, 26. I think you've got to have that coverage in the squad where you have young players who are developing. You've also got people in the prime, and then obviously experienced players, obviously at the end of the primes or obviously going out of the primes. I think that we've got quite a, a reasonable balance in the squad. Unfortunately, the older players probably aren't. You know, sufficient for what Carlo Ancelotti wants. So I think, I think we will look to get slightly younger now. I'm not talking we're going to be signing any more 19-year-olds. I do think we'll be looking between 20 and 26 for players. You know, when we do sign them, again, whether we can sign you know, all the, all these players, it's, it's very up in the air at the moment. So, you know, I think we've got a good young core. I think, you know, what I will say, you mentioned John Joe Kenny's. I think the club probably, and I think he would like to leave as well as I think he was one of the assets the club's plan, plan to sell in the summer 
Um, I think he's a good player. I just don't think he's at the required level that Carlo Ancelotti won as a starting right back. And I think Seamus Coleman is now at the stage where he's better served as a, an experienced squad member rather than someone who's starting. So you need someone who's ready to start 38 games in the season. I just don't think Everton would be you know, challenging that way. And just probably over to you, Paul, as well. Obviously, I think you'll probably agree. We'll be looking at the likes of John Joe Kenny to, to try and get a bit, you know, a bit of value, a bit of money back. Yeah, and I think I think um, prior to COVID nineteen, probably earmarking something around about twenty million pounds worth of profit for him, mm-hmm. um, because you know he he's, he sits on the books um, at zero cost. So whatever his tra- whatever the transfer fee would be for him. Um, is all, all profit as far as the club is concerned, which is obviously good from a cash point of view, but it's good from um, uh, you know an FF, financial fair play point of view and um, profit and sustainability as well. Um, but that value will have gone down now, and I think mm. whilst I, whilst I, I'd agree with Andy that he's my my opinion of him, not that my opinion counts for anything in terms of value, you know, judging a player, is that he's not quite at the level um, that we would want. I suspect it's one of those that we will probably hold on to till later in the window, whenever the window is, um, and see how the window develops. Because it might be if money is, is extraordinarily tight that we just take the view that we, we'll keep him for um, keep him for another year because he's got he's, has he got one year left on his contract, Andy, or two? I think he's got one. I think it's one year. Yeah, actually, well, then, if it's one, it may well be that we decide whatever value we can get in the transfer market for him, we'll take it. I think there's other players that in a similar situation with contracts. I think Michael Keane's now at that renew or sell stage as well. Yeah. He's got two years left on his deal. And obviously once you get down to the final year the cost starts dropping. So we may see that Everton try and sell Michael Keane. Obviously they've been heavily rumoured with Gabriel. Obviously Lille are very Good, difficult club to deal with. Gerard Lopez, who's their owner, is very heavy into data, so they're, they're quite, you know, they're quite tough to deal with and try and bring the price down, which Everton have tried, been trying to do. Whether that happens or not at all, obviously, is up in the air due to, due to the obviously the economic downturn. But yeah, I think Michael Keane's another one who could be on his way out. Again, what's the market for Michael Keane? Maybe Burnley would have paid twenty plus million to sign him, but maybe now they won't because obviously Burnley are in a different situation. So there's a lot up in the air in terms of squad turnover for Everton. You interestingly seen a, seen a headline last 24 hours as well about uh, Harry Kane, obviously uh, for 200 billion. Uh, anyone that, that that obviously has watched Daniel Levy afar, he, he's always a bit of a, a cunning master in the uh, the old transfer window. Um, I, 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 you know, and it, it asked the question. You obviously, but you, you obviously pay for the new stadium. It's in position that we, we are now. Um, do you think he actually maybe looked at Harry Kane as a way to you know get some of that money back in? And do you think do you think he may look at selling Harry Kane in the summer? I think Harry Kane is someone obviously is Tottenham's most valuable asset. What I would would say is if you look at Harry Kane, it's, it's trending downward. And for, for whatever reason, he's not been the same in the last eighteen months. Whether a new team will fix that, I don't know. But I think Tottenham realise that there's a potential with another midland season from Harry Kane that they do, you know that that asset will dwindle, and obviously being I think he's twenty six now. The assets will dwindle where they couldn't recoup major money. And I think even in this market, as Paul's probably going to say, it's a heavy risk for a player who gets injured as much as Harry Kane, you know, investing 200 million. You know, I, I, just, I don't see clubs making transfers of that type. Maybe Manchester United would look at 
you know, signing, you know, Jaden Sancho is much younger, obviously, on you know, much more on his way up for, you know, over 100 million because they do have the cash. But I just don't see clubs spending 200 million on a Harry Kane in this climate. I, I, I would agree with that. I think I think there's another reason why um, perhaps Daniel Levy was looking or, or is looking to sell Harry Kane, um, but nowhere near nowhere near nowhere near that price. Is um, you obviously everybody's aware that Tottenham got the, their new stadium. Everybody's aware that they've borrowed an awful lot of money um, to pay for that stadium. Part of the conditions of borrowing that money. Is that they'll need to meet certain um, what are called covenants, and covenants are sort of, uh, sort of guarantees. So you'd have to guarantee that you generate a certain amount of income. You have to generate a certain amount of profit um, in any one year in order not to break the covenants. It, the conditions that the lenders place on a club uh, to make sure that their um, their repayments are secure, and of course. Tottenham, like everybody else, will never have planned for anything like what we're going through at the moment, where they're not generating any income at all. So it may be, um, it may, and I, I can't say, say for sure, because this is obviously, these are private documents and you don't get to see them, but it may be that Tottenham are in danger, even if they've got some cash in the bank, are in danger of breaching some of their banking covenants. And that's why perhaps they want to sell Harry Kane, apart from the fact that, you know, he, He's sort of gone over, over, over. He's past his peak, I think, as a player. But I think that I think there may be a, a greater reason for doing that, and I think that may be one of the reasons also why Spurs um, furloughed uh, their staff as quickly as possible to retain as much cash as possible. Now I've read since uh, this afternoon that they uh, overturned that decision, but they've only overturned that decision on the back of uh, public opinion, not because they wanted to do it uh, from a business point of view. So they may be, just, they actually may be really tight on cash. Yeah, uh, I, I won't get into the uh, the the, the fair the fair locally um, debate that's been going on go, going on over the last forty eight hours <laughs> uh, for obvious reasons. But um, we'll talk about Everton in terms of how do you approach this summer, and I'll go to the previous. Um, so Lee, I, I know that you probably sat there, don't want you falling asleep. What would you look at, and then we'll, we'll go across to Paul and Andy. What 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 would you expect to see in terms of how many players you would like to see come in, and what positions? Obviously, it's not going to be what we expected it to be, but where would you look? Um, I still think we need a centre half. Uh, I think the right back situation needs to be sorted this summer as well. Um, a right winger, um, and after that. Possibly, possibly another mid middle midfielder. If we lose one or two, I don't know. Um, probably a centre half. I'd be looking at first. Well, Andy, um, you, you might be able to add a few names there as well. Um, it, 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 so I agree with you know with Leon on the positions in terms of centre back. Obviously, we would like someone I think in between what a Mason Holgate is and what a Yeri Mean is, so we can rotate. I think Michael Keane unfortunately is, is is better used in a you know what we call obviously a Burnley type low block system where he doesn't have to really defend in space. So someone who can defend in space like a Gabriel, for example, who sticks with three, strong and quick. You know, left-footed adds a bit of balance to the defence. He could either play the meaner role as someone as the stopper, 
or he could play the Hall Great role as the cover and defender, like he does now for Lille with Jose Fonsi, who's what ninety years old next to him. So they, you know, they, that's in one position. The right back situation, yes, is, is fair. I think needs to be sorted out. I think obviously Sidibe, for his, for all his attack and talent, is really flawed defensively. I, I think the issue with him is he just steps up way too quick, leaves a gap in behind, and he falls asleep. And unfortunately, it's cost us too much this season. I think. Centre midfield, I think obviously Jean-Philippe Gabamon will be back next season. But I think, you know, obviously this has been a good period for him in the sense that he's been able to probably get you know, rest and get back fit. But I think we need another midfielder. The problem with midfield is we've already got, you know, Tom Davis, Andre Gomez, Gabamon, Schneiderlin, and Sigurdsson, and Delph who can all play there. If one of them, do, if none of them leave, it's very difficult to bring in a centre midfielder because you're just adding on top of what you're not. Subtract and it's just too much of a you know too much of a heavy squad. You'd have either Sigurdsson, Schneiderlin, or Delph, or, or even Tom Davis. You may have to loan out, but one of them would end up be sitting on the books for a lot of money, and you couldn't you know and you wouldn't play them. So that, that that's the difficulty with that situation. I think if everyone remembers the the AGM, Marcel Brands put up the the slide where he showed the positions in the four four two. Obviously, right wing only has Theo Walcott. So I expect him to see out his contract until next summer as the backup, and then we will try and sign a right winger. If we can't sign a right wing, we may sign a striker and, and move Richarlison to the wingers. Obviously, he can play there, and maybe not as effective, but he still can score goals from there, which is what Everton needs, more goals in and around the side. So they would be the positions that I think will be tried to be filled, whether we can or not, because of whether there's a financial restrictions or we just can't move players to, you know, to in order to you know, turn over the squad, if you will. That, that's the major issue. Then that, that's really interesting. If, if if I just look at look at it as a fan, uh, and if I think about you know the last performances before um, football, uh, you know we stopped playing football, and if I think about the Chelsea game in particular, uh, to me it just seemed that yes, we, clearly you know we would like to, we'd like a new right back, we'd like a new centre half, and we'd love a new right winger, but if we don't address the problem that we have in midfield, and um, we're not we're not going to do as much as as perhaps we can do, mm-hmm. and I think that I think ultimately, from my perspective, that sort sorting out the mid, the midfield and in particular the centre of midfield, um, is is an absolute must. If you know if if we had to make a priority, and and if it was me, don't laugh at this, but if it was me having to make that priority, it would be the centre of midfield. No, I agree, Paul. I think... I, think, I think all all I think all good all, all good teams, you know. Need, need a strong midfield. So, I agree. The, the, the issue with the Chelsea game, if you go back, obviously, that'd be on the last performance, is the, the people who were playing in centre midfield that day just lacked, lacked complete structure. Now, the 4-4-2 hasn't been played by many teams in the last, what, 15 years? I think the last team, and people might say Leicester, but Ozaki played behind Vardy. But the other, the other than that, the last team to win a title was, with 4-4-2 was 2004. So a lot of players who play football now have not grew up. A lot of them played in academies, never play in a 4-4-2. And I think it's a very specialised system that requires on two midfielders being able to keep the structure quite well and, and really... You know, you know, what's the word? Screen the back four and protect them and shut that back door, much like Garnagay did for you know for last, you know last season. Because if it doesn't, like Chelsea, you're just going to see every time the ball goes through the midfield, teams are going to be advancing one on one on the defence. It's going to cause problems. So the, the centre midfield is really the linchpin position for four four two. I think. 
it, it is a point there what you you've said i think if you look at the um i don't want to mention the names but the ones over the park if, you know the cup game that we played against that lot um that was the same it, we, we no sooner got older the ball we gave it straight back away mm. um and you know as much as i do believe i, I, I know we spoke about this earlier but gomez does need to probably produce a little bit more you know he's been unlucky in terms of injury um you know the fact that we haven't got someone who can actually just glue the ball in and control the game you know it always puts us under pressure and this is my point with bernard sometimes that he has got the ability to control the ball under pressure and, and you know take that pressure away from the side and, and keep hold of the ball the issue Bernard finds, I think, you know, I'll, I'll go with Bernard. I think, he, I think he is a very technically wonderful player. I think he's, you know, great touch, you know, good vision, really intelligent player. Is the way from home, he just seems to get a little bit lost. And we haven't seen a consistency from away from home. And unfortunately, much like a Wobie, as we've seen, he's, he struggled in the 4 4 2. And, you know, I think the issue is the defensive responsibility in a 4 4 2 for them with type of wingers is much different than like a 4 3 3 or a 4 2 3 1. There's a much more reliance on them to get back and defend and, and you know, help you know and defend one v one against fullbacks and wingers, which is why in the Arsenal game where Wobi and, and Sadini got completely overrun. That is a prime example of why that position is difficult for modern wingers to play. There's only you know if you look at Ancelotti's Napoli, he played Gielinski, who's a centre midfielder on the left, and Kalajan, who's obviously a winger, but he played on the right. So. It, it, it's going to take a lot of... This is where Carlo obviously is missing a lot of development time now because we need to... Obviously, we would like to bring players in, but we can't bring a whole new squad in. So certain players such as Awobi, Bernard, the centre midfielders will all have to try and bed into that 4-4-2 and understand the roles better and get better in their roles. Otherwise, we'll still have the same team and problems next season, even despite adding players. We discussed this on on our Bobblers uh, Twitter actually, and, uh, and we were saying about playing the flat diamonds. Mm. I know it's something you've certainly mentioned, um, and uh, I know Mitch, you, you're a big fan of Awobi as well, aren't you, and Bernard? Uh, yeah, but it's trying to get them in the same team, isn't it? Yeah, it's difficult. You know, um, like Andy says, the, you know, with but these are the uh, the things Ancelotti's gonna gonna have to work out with these players. Um, yeah, I, I like both of them. But like you say, he's just trying to get them in a, in a system that works at the end of the day. I, I I was talking with someone this morning. I was saying that I think that the, you know, one way maybe to go to get the best out of the team would be you know, what he did at Milan, whereas he had the four of the back four, then he had the three in midfield, obviously he had Pilo. So you could use Gomez as your Pilo, the fact that someone who could, you know, obviously got range of pass and can control the ball. And then have two people, obviously, you know, box to box midfielders running off him. And then have a Wobia Bernard behind the front two. And I think then you'd obviously get the best out of certain players in the squad then. Obviously, then the full-backs have to provide the width. But I think the, the squad is quite ill-fitting at this moment for 4-4-2. I think, obviously, as time goes, Carlo will obviously develop more players. But at the moment, it, it is very difficult. And this is obviously a change that Everton obviously foresaw. But they decided that Carlo was too big of a name. You know, to, to not to turn down in terms of manager. If I was, I'm not, not in Everton's situation, but if I was at a you know a Championship club and I had a, a squad full of players that suited four four three four three three, I would have chosen manager or the best caliber manager, of course, but who suited that system and the players we have. But I understand from an Everton perspective, Carlo was just too big to turn down. But it has, it will have some teething problems. Obviously, we've done fairly well so far, but you know the, the, the Chelsea game was an example of what can happen when it all goes wrong. And Andy, you Sorry, Andy, you mentioned something there about um, uh, development time. Yeah. It seems to me that 
with this enforced layoff, don't you think that whilst whilst the individual players are obviously spending some time during the day maintaining some level of fitness, mm. that there's a number of hours in the day where um, Angelotti and his team can be, you know, th through um, th through technology, talking to individual players about different aspects of the game. So actually, although obviously it's not the same as being on the training pitch or mm. it's not the same as being right in front of each other. In theory, there should be more time for more people to discuss with individual players what's expected of them, what their strength, what we, what they see as their strengths, what they see as their weaknesses, and and to create like sort of development plans for those players, assuming that they've got a future in the club. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That 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 sh you know, I I, think, I hope that's going on. I think you're right in the sense that you know, there's obviously a lot of teams now use the huddle app where they cut videos and obviously show can show players tactically what they expect them. I think you know. Obviously, Ancelotti and his team will definitely be doing that. As you say, not the same as being on the training ground and physically doing it. But yes, this is this. You know, in some ways, you know, technology-wise, it's quite a fertile, you know, period for both coaches and, of course, recruitment staff as well. I think a lot of you know, different clubs have undertook undertaken different projects. You know, you know, across the park, they're looking at Asian markets because obviously they've had success. You know, buying Minamino, they saw other players from you know, from you know Asian countries do well in Europe. So they, that's something that they're look, looking at, and I think that that it's you know this this time off. Sadly, you know it's, it's obviously a big time. We shouldn't take any you know any solace in it, but it's allowed clubs to have a look at different things, and maybe it might improve certain aspects of clubs. Maybe not, but we'll see. But yes, definitely, I think Carlo would have been obviously ended having chats with players, and obviously they would have been getting sent video packs of how and what what is expected them going forward. Yeah, interesting. It's certainly a time where I argued this the other day. My line of business, where will we ever go back to the way things were before? I think you know, obviously, people are progressing, people are changing, people are altering, um, and it, you know, we we kind of need to go with the punches. Um, but it, it does make me think, you know, how how football will look like in the next twelve months. Um, there's certainly positives what what are going on. You know, obviously, we've highlighted a few negatives. Um, but you know, I think a big thing that I, I just want to discuss with, with all you know, with all previous that are on the line is about the blue family, about what Everton fans are doing individually. I want to mention about as well while we're on is about Colin, um, uh, who was set up the uh, the Evertonian funds, and I'll give him a big shout out here. It's at Blue Funds Twenty Twenty, and he's looking to uh, raise money for the NHS uh, and do you know a special welcome back to the old lady. With, um, Barnett, you know, for, for the NHS, you know, maybe even a good point to address. The Blue family, the way Everton could get the themselves, there's a lot going on, really, that we can be proud of, isn't there? Sorry, Sam, so first. Sorry, you came through quite muffled then, sorry. Yeah, I couldn't hear you then, mate. Just discussing the, uh, the Blue family. How good, how great Everton have been, um, and I was just saying um, about uh, the likes of Colin, who you know who's done the uh, at Blue Fund twenty twenty. Um, I think obviously they're, they're really kind of going above and beyond for the community, and um, I'm just going over to Paul first just to say uh, what's your thoughts on what's been going on with the Blue family. Um, <laughs> I I'm often critical of the club for not having focus solely on football. 
Um, and I think sometimes the club devotes too much time to community. And I know that sounds uh, quite controversial to say that, but that, that's that's my belief in normal times. Uh, when, when there's no football on, like a time like now, and when people will be feeling isolated and will be generally, you know, genuinely struggling, genuinely scared about their own health, health of members of the family, and their future, um, you know, economic prospects. I think I think the club's been magnificent in in this really difficult time. Um, both the club as a as a club, so you know, as an organisation and the individuals within the club, um, but also in individual fans, um, such as uh, your your friend Colin, who who I don't know. I think it's a fantastic idea, and and I wish him all the best. But I also know there's loads of other fan other Evertonians who just very quietly do their own thing, um, but they don't do, you know, they don't court publicity. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with courting publicity, of course there isn't. Um, but I think there's an awful lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that's never seen or re never recognised, nor wishes to be recognised. I think it's one of Everton's great strengths. And one of the reasons why I say sometimes that we shouldn't promote it as heavily as we do is because actually it goes on anyway. I agree with you, Paul. Um, and and obviously, you know, the, that's over the uh, doing the um, the food bank work as yeah. well. Yeah. You know, a special mention goes out to them. You know, um, like Dave uh, Dave Kelly and Robert Daniels, um, excellent work, um, and they're just a credit to the city. I I want I'd like to second that. Obviously, in, in football times, I have also been you know, critical of Everton focusing too much on community work and. But you know, when you take football out of it, you know, football belongs to communities, and I think Everton are one of the clubs that puts back most into its community. I think we should be proud of that as Evertonians. And I think, as you've highlighted some of the names, then I think you know, obviously someone did tickets for Toffees last season. Obviously, he's trying to send people that you know who couldn't go with the match to the match. I think that was great as well. Um, you know, and obviously there's the veterans club and Bootle there as well. You know, looking after our veterans. So I think there's there's lots of work that's been done over the time and I think obviously now it's more heightened obviously because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I think that Everton has, you know, is, is stepped up in terms of its community and its fans as well. I think we have a, a you know, group of fans that, you know, we may all disagree about football on Twitter, but in general, you know, we do generally try and come together as a community. And I think that's the key message there that you raised and it's probably we'll start bringing this to an end. Um, but, you know, you see Paul getting grief sometimes because, you know, he, he, he dares to know a bit about finance. Sometimes, I'm sure you're saying you get a bit of grief because you dare to know a bit about strengthening staff. I think that ultimately all we want is, a, you know, a better version of Everton. And we're all united in that vision. But, you know, it, sometimes we don't all agree with one another. But we all want the same thing. We want a better Everton football club and we want to be celebrating and enjoying things. As Neil tell you, I'm sure you, you've won Toby. But, you know, to see you know the best version of Everton, the Bramley Moor. Uh, very much so, mate. But I want to get him to Goodison before we leave. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll old, old Toby. He's now. two and a half. He's had me run. If I'm a bit quiet today, he's had me run ragged for the past three days. So uh, I'm a bit worn out today. Can I, as somebody who, who who's from Liverpool? Um, but no longer in Liverpool. And I haven't been in Liverpool for many, many years. Can I, just on the point of like community and stuff, um, can I just say one thing about the city? And I, I, I include everybody from Liverpool, not just Evertonians in this. Um, 
there's no other city like it in the world. And I've, I've been lucky enough to live and move around different parts of the world in, in my life. That there is genuinely no other city in the world um, that looks after people in need like like our, like our city. And if if whoever's listening to this, um, if you don't feel proud about your city, if you don't feel proud about your identity as somebody from Liverpool, uh, take it from me. You should do because um, there is literally no other city like it. Yeah, very very much. Paul, I've got family over in Canada. My uncle Mark, and he he was from Waverley. And uh, he, he always yeah. digs up the uh, digs up England and Liverpool, you know. So, uh, yeah, agree with that. And I think I think we'll end it on that note. And the end, we're actually I'm just going to quote someone, a famed investor called Warren Buffet, and I'll probably correct on to spell him. But um, he actually says, "Only when the tide goes out that you learn who has been swimming naked." <laughs> it was an excellent way. To kind of sum up what's going on at the moment, the Premier League. Thanks very much for anyone that's listening and someone, you know, that, you know, the lads are obviously being in tonight. All the Everton fans that are doing great stuff for the community, carry on. You're making us all proud. And as Paul says, we're proud scouts watching on. Um, and that's what Liverpool as a city is about. We're all blue. All right. So over and out. And thanks for your time. Thanks, lads. Thanks. Nice one. Thanks a lot.